Well, everyone, we are now on the penultimate presidential episode, and this is Ranking U.S. Presidents. I'm Bradley Cooper. Thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> and I am Curtis Cooper, and you heard it right. We are talking about president number, let's see, Biden's 46. Mm-hmm. Trump is 45. Mm-hmm. That would make Obama 44. For the 44th president. One, I hope you all were alive for, unless we just have a bunch of four-year-olds watching our program. <laughs> that would be basically like, my favorite episode is the Bill Clinton episode. <laughs> so, alright. So, Barack Obama. He's known as, obviously, the first African-American president, which is a pretty big deal. Absolutely. And, now, obviously, this is going to be a two-parter, because, as you know, we've had to do two-parters since Bill Clinton. And yep. That's just the way it's got to be. A lot of girth to these presidencies. yep. yep. A lot of stimulus packages, one might say. <laughs> All right, so you might know Obama by these two catchphrases, change and hope. Mm, yep. It was kind of the big things. But what was America's first black president really like? Let's take a look at his early life. Born as Barack Hussein Obama II in August 4th, 1961, to Ann Dunham, who is a white woman from Kansas, and Barack Obama Sr., a Kenyan who is studying in the U.S., he is currently the only president to be born outside the continuous 48 states. We haven't had a president from Alaska as of yet either. His father daughter... President Palin. <laughs> <laughs> and her vice president, Jip, 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 Jip. Jip. Yeah, you know, Sarah Palin's one of those that I feel like Trump just so, like, overshadowed her because... Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll talk, probably talk about Palin later, but she was... She was kind of a new brand, not necessarily a new brand of crazy, but a form of crazy people hadn't seen for a, a while. A unique brand of crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then Trump came along and was like, get out of the way. <laughs> the only thing you'll find is my ass president. <laughs> Again, we must plug the greatest epic rap battle of history, Donald Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. We Go will, watch it. We will sing it in its entirety, <laughs> entirety. During, during the Trump episode. But back to Obama. Okay. So, Obama's father had been married before, and he actually ended up divorcing Anne and moving back to Kenya when Obama was only two. Oh, wow. He would visit him only two times, once on Chris, only visit him once on Christmas of 1971 prior to his death in a car accident in 1982. Continuing the presidential trend of being a mama's boy. Yeah. Obama would write that my father looked nothing like the people around me, that he was black as pitch, my mother white as milk, barely registered in my mind. And would then later remarry Lolo Sotoro of Indonesia, who was another foreign student at the University of Hawaii. From ages 6 through 10, he would live with a stepfather in Indonesia, where he would attend both Catholic and Muslim schools, and where all those birther photos came from. Yikes. And he would write, I was raised as an Indonesian child, and a Hawaiian child, and as a black child, and as a white child. And so what I benefit from is a multiplicity of cultures that all fed me. Yeah, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Anne would then send Obama back to Hawaii with live with her parents, Stanley and Madeline Dunham, to, and there he would attend Hawaii's Punahou School from 5th grade to high school. His mother then divorced Sotero and moved to Hawaii to study cultural anthropology, only to go back to Indonesia again for research. So he had a pretty, you know, interesting childhood, to say the least. You know, I will, I will say this. Um, if we ever return to ranking political figures, vice presidents are boring. Yeah. And uh, I say we rank presidential moms because they were all fascinating. Yes, that would be very <laughs> interesting to figure out. I mean, even Abigail Adams, I mean, she counts for, for two. Absolutely. And, uh, oh, uh, 
H.W.'s wife. Yeah, Barbara. Barbara Bush. Yeah. Yes, yes. And of course, you know, Abraham Lincoln's stepmom was interesting, as was yep. his father. He That's had a very true. strained relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. Just do presidential parents. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be fun. Cool. Now, at school, Obama was known as a decent student who loved playing basketball and did uh, dabble in drugs and alcohol, including <laughs> cocaine and weed. I did not know he did coke. That's yeah. wild. I can't believe he, he got and, away with like people knowing about that. And uh, let me be clear. Uh, <laughs> uh. At this time, because his grandparents were non-religious, he would say he was not really raised in a religious household. Now, his mother was a classical liberal and taught him that... To be black was to be the beneficiary of a great inheritance, a special destiny, glorious burdens that only we were strong enough to bear. <laughs> That's some Loki BS right there. <laughs> glorious burdens! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, as mentioned above, actually, Hawaii had only very few black people living there. Interesting. Which I never thought of, but I guess it kind of makes sense, because Hawaii is an island nation, and you know... Yeah, kind of isolated. Yeah, it's kind of isolated, and since African Americans didn't come from a lower socioeconomic, you know, they're not probably going to have the resources to move all the way to Hawaii. It's true. Now, Obama had a strained relationship with his white grandfather, and he had difficulty figuring out his identity. He would say, I was trying to raise myself to be a black man in America, and beyond the given of my appearance, no one around me seemed to know exactly what that meant. He also said he used drugs to put questions of who he was out of his mind. Mm. Which kind of makes sense, because a lot of the reason why people might turn to drugs in the first place is they don't really have a clear sense of identity. Yeah, so definitely. Or, or they have problems at home or something like that. Also, if you think he's the first president to do, to do drugs, you would be mistaken. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I believe it was Franklin Pierce that said the best part about the Mexican-American War was weed. Yep, And of course, much. as Bill Clinton said, I didn't smoke, but, but I did inhale. <laughs> Now, in college, he enrolled in Occidental College in L.A. for freshman and sophomore, and then at Columbia University in New York City, eventually graduating with a degree in political science in 1983. Now, interestingly enough, while he was in school in 1981, he gave his first public speech, calling for the college to disinvest in South Africa due to its policy of apartheid. Oh, wow. Yeah, we forget that South Africa was still doing apartheid until, like, I believe the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, that's hardcore racism. Mm Mm-hmm. He would first act as a researcher for the Business International Group, but then got a job as a community organizer in Chicago's majority black South Side. This was actually his first real immersion, immersion into the black community as, as a grown adult. Yeah, because he just wasn't raised around it. No. In this role, he would organize residents to pressure City Hall to improve conditions for the community, as well as launch a church-funded Developing Communities project. However, he realized he was unable to accomplish much without a law degree. So, 1988, uh, every president, he enrolled in Harvard Law School. Law School. Law School. Law school. <laughs> At law school, he would graduate magna cum laude and would win... Cum, is it cum laude or cum laude? I've heard it both ways. I say cum laude. Cum laude, yep. And would win an election as president of the Harvard Law Review. Despite his liberal ideas, <laughs> he won this election by convincing his conservative staffers he would treat them fairly. Of course, of course. Yeah. Reach across the aisle and all yeah. that. During this time, he was given a contract by Random House to write a book about race relations, which he wrote in 1995 called Dreams from My Father, a story of race and inheritance. We wrote about what it was like to be raised by whites with an absent African father. And if you want some of the greasier details of Obama's life, get this book, because he has a lot of... There's a lot of quotes in there. I read one recently where... He said he was focused so much in, you know, just making life better for people and doing all these things and working constantly. His friends pulled him aside and said, Brock, you need to get laid. <laughs> so well, this, he was deep in the books. Yeah, this is this is where you go to read the, the, the greasy details. Mm-hmm. Now, after his 
year at Harvard, and during a summer internship at Chicago's Sidley and Austin law firm, he met Michelle Robinson, who was born in the south side of Chicago and was a graduate of Princeton University and Harvard Law School. They started a four-year courtship, which is actually pretty long. That is most really presidents. Long. Yeah, I mean, most presidents are like, hey, you want to get married next week? Yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs> they would marry in 1992. She would later famously speak about their first date with him arriving in a car that had no real floor, so there was little between her feet and the ground. <laughs> <laughs> they would move into Chicago's racially integrated middle-class Hyde Park neighborhood and would have two daughters, Malaya Ann and Natasha, known as Sasha. Obama would direct the Illinois Project vote to increase black turnout, and then later accepted a position as an attorney with civil rights law firm of uh, Barnhill and Gallard. Mm-hmm. Gallard as well as he served as a lecturer for the University of Chicago Law School. In 1996, he ran for state senator of Illinois when Alice Palmer, then current senator, decided to run for Congress. However, when her campaign faltered, she decided to run for re-election in state instead. She's like, well, I guess I'll just keep my old position. (laughs) Now, Obama didn't back down and beat her in the election. However, his time here was challenging, since Republicans controlled the state Senate, and his fellow black colleagues resented the harsh tactics he'd used against Alice. Hmm, interesting. However, Obama was able to adapt and work with both parties, as well as got a mentor and black senator in Mill Jones Jr. He was able to pass campaign finance and crime legislation. In 2002, when Democrats won the state Senate, Senate he would pass nearly 300 bills in Illinois to help children, elderly, labor unions, and the impoverished. However... He attempted a primary challenge in 2000 against Bobby Rush, a former Black Panther leader. Obama's white connections and elite background led him to losing by 30 points, which Obama later called a driven. Wow. He got a driven. But Obama continued to push forward. In 2002, he spoke at an anti-war rally, that's for the Iraq War, in Chicago. Yep. By saying, quote, I don't oppose all wars. What I am opposed to is a dumb war. What I am opposed to is a rash war. This put him against other candidates for the U.S. Senate elections, as well as other senators who had big presidential plans but supported the war, including John Kerry, John Edwards, and Hillary Clinton. Ooh, that's a name that'll come up later. <laughs> yep. Obama was able to win the Democratic Senate primary with 53% of the vote, more than any of his rivals in 2004. This was in part because he differentiated himself. Obama ran against Republican Jack Ryan, who had taught in interstate Chicago school, but had to drop out due of the race due to scandalous details of his divorce, where it was alleged he pressured his wife, Jerry Ryan, who is an actress, to perform sexual acts in public. Whoa, that's not very nice. Don't so Obama just rolled in was like, this is going to be an easy one. <laughs> and it was. Yeah, he won 70% of the vote. Whoa. And then in 2004, he gave an extremely successful keynote at the Democratic Convention for obviously the failed campaign of John Kerry, yep. where he would talk about the audacity of hope and say, there's not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is a United States of America. There's not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's a United States of America. Just trying to get all that independent vote. Mm-hmm. Which, it, it seems like a lot of times when people eventually become president, there's a moment before then where they get their chance to really shine and show their true colors. Yeah. Now, let's talk about his religion and his personality a little bit. As mentioned, and his religion is a little contentious, as we know, because there have been many conspiracy theories about hey, this. He's a Muslim. Yep, Muslim. 
Okay, so I remember, side note here, I remember re I read an article recently where someone believed that, like, see, he, Obama had a secret Muslim ring that proves he was a part of the Muslim Brotherhood. <laughs> and it was this really bad photoshopped image of this fake ring. Sounds about right. And we still use in bad Photoshop because I believe there was one of the Ukrainian president that a pro-Russian guy had edited to make it look like he had cocaine on his desk while the Zoom called. <laughs> oh, man. Which is just like... Would the guy really be doing, like, cocaine on a big Zoom meeting with all these foreign leaders? <laughs> Seems like a bit of a stretch. Yep. Now, as mentioned before, his grandparents were not religious. His mother wasn't as well, and his father was confirmed atheist. But his mother did encourage him to learn all about all the world's religions. And the audacity of hope, he would write, he was, in many ways, the most spiritually awakened person I've ever known. And he was a lonely witness for secular humanism. And what's interesting is his mom had him attend, like, all sorts of religious services because she oh. was just that type of person who wanted him to get, like, a full education, understand, like, all matters. That's pretty Spiritual dope. and educational. And he would later discover the power of black churches community organizing and would understand the power of the African-American religious tradition to spur social change. In 1987, he met Trinity United Church of Christ pastor Jeremiah Wright. Mm. And he would become a member of that church in 1992. He would write in a statement on September 27, 2010, I'm a Christian by choice. My family didn't, frankly. They weren't folks who went to church every week. And my mother was one of the most spiritual people I knew, but she didn't raise me in the church. So I came to my Christian faith later in life. It was because the precepts of Jesus Christ spoke to me in terms of the kind of life that I would want to leave, being my brothers and sisters keepers, treating others as they would treat me. In 2008, he would tell Christianity Today, Well, I'm a Christian. I'm a devout Christian. I believe in the redemptive death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that faith gives me a path to be cleansed of sin and have eternal life. Now, of course, there are many misconceptions about his religious beliefs. Can I interject one thing? Yes, go ahead. Um, is he the first president who converted to Christianity later in life? I believe there were a few who ended up joining a Christian denomination who weren't really involved. Like, I know there were some, but the thing was, like, Almost every president before then had a sort of, like, vaguely religious background. Yeah, though. yeah. Like, he's he's the first one with, like, very much an a-religious background. Yeah, yeah. And that, that makes sense because in the 1700s, 1800s, even though you had a lot of deism and you had a lot of people who weren't too interested in religion, religion was still very much baked into the culture. It was basically just the flavoring of the culture back then. Yeah, exactly. Even if you weren't super into it, like Ulysses S. Grant, you still kind of had to absorb it through osmosis. Yeah. And it still is to a certain degree today, although certain things have changed. Definitely. So there are many misconceptions. In fact, a poll in 2015 found that 29% of Americans think he is a Muslim, including 43% of Republicans due to his time spent living in Indonesia and attending Muslim schools. And I just got to say, that, okay, let me get on a little bit of soapbox here. Turns out the stupid has always existed. Yeah, it's always existed, and there's always been crazy stuff like this throughout American history. I think in some ways, I don't know about you, but studying the American presidents have, in some ways, comforted me because I've realized, like, oh, no, there's always been really stupid ideas and really crazy stuff. Stupid ideas, crazy factions, mm -hmm. um, just a bunch of goons as presidents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, the rejection of facts is becoming more and more, like, common. Yeah. But... It also ebbs and flows. It does ebb and flow. And to quote our favorite Canadian conservative, J.J. Mm. McCullough. We love you, J.J. We do. So he did a video about growing up in the 90s, and he said something very interesting. He said, in the age before the internet, you kind of had to be used to not really knowing stuff. You'd just be like, oh, you know, maybe this is true, maybe it's not. Yeah. Like, 
Apparently, it was very common to think like a certain celebrity had died and no one could prove it in <laughs> one way or the other. That's wild. I mean, remember, I th- so really, we've always sort of lived in a reality where it's kind of hard to find facts, mm-hmm. and the internet has made it in some ways a little easier to find out the truth. In some ways, it's even harder. Yeah, because like it just gets like muddled underneath a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about his religion. In New Mexico in 2008, he would speak of his beliefs. He would say he understood Jesus Christ died for my sins, spoke to the humility, humility we all have as human beings, that we're sinful and flawed, and we make mistakes, and we achieve salvation through the grace of God. And he said, quote, But what we can do, as flawed as we are, is still see God in other people and do our best to help them find their own grace. That's what I strive to do. That's what I pray to do every day. I think my public service is part of that effort to express my Christian faith. Obama said he believes deeply that part of the bedrock strength of the country is that it embraces people of many faiths and of no faith. Although it's a predominantly Christian country still, he said, we have Jews, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, agnostic, Buddhists, and that their own path to grace is one that we have to revere and respect as much as their own. And that's part of what makes this country what it is. And side note here, Obama would actually say at one point he didn't expect people to sort of leave their spiritual beliefs at the home when they went to the polls. He's like, no, that's ridiculous. Hmm. And I think part of the reason is that he saw how the beliefs of the black community influenced how they acted and how they fought for yeah, rights. Yeah, that was, that was formative in his like political like ideology. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about his personality. I'm going to quote from the presidential ham. Ham! The ham is the great. So Obama stands 6 feet 1.5 inches. Although when photographed when next to Bill Clinton, who is 6 feet 2.5 inches, Obama looks taller. (laughs) (laughs) That is... I don't even know how to respond to that. I never even thought about that. Yeah, I guess that does happen. Okay, so there are sometimes... There are people who are taller than me, and I'm about 6'2", or 6'1", 6'2". And there are some people who are taller than me, but because of their mannerisms, I'm always shocked that they're taller than me. I'm like, wait, I thought they were shorter. And they might slouch. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's just the way people carry themselves that might look taller. Mm -hmm. Obama is an unusual presidential candidate in that he appeared to lose weight in the campaign trail. Interesting. I didn't know it was common to pack on the pounds in the campaign trail. Maybe you're just, you have to have so many meals with people. Yeah, like I just thought that you'd just age. <laughs> yeah, or it's maybe stress stress eating. Yeah, I could see it. He probably best described himself as a Denver Valley, acknowledging the city's mayor, John Hickenlooper. Obama said it was great being on a podium with another tall, skinny guy with a funny last name. <laughs> like George Herbert Walker Bush and Bill Clinton, Obama's left-handed. The doctor pronounced Obama to be in excellent health, although noted history of intermittent cigarette smoking. <laughs> Anyone foe or friend of Barack Obama's will attest to his strong, charismatic, and powerful personality. Much of this was his laid-back coolness. This was not a man easily ruffled, and who stayed focused in what he considered important. There are many who urged him to change the tone of his campaign against Hillary Clinton when she went negative, and against Republican opponent John McCain, when the Obama attacks from McCain's roommate Sarah Palin became especially vitriolic. To McCain's credit, he defended Obama. Obama refused to change the positive attitude of his campaign. Adjectives often used to describe Obama are calm, down-to-earth, scholarly, assured, confident. Smooth. Yeah. Be down-to-earth was noted uh, by one writer after Michelle and Barack Obama were interviewed on television 60 Minutes. When asked if the president-elect would do dish duty in the White House, Michelle shook her head aghast. No. Barack was secure enough in his manhood to pipe up without buying an eye. I like, well, I like doing dishes. <laughs> That's amazing. According to the, and I love how they say this, the wiry Democrat, the chore was a soothing one. <laughs> now, most describes an agram type as type 9, as a oh, cool, peaceful yep. man who tries to avoid conflict, which oh. lines up nicely what we know about him. And I'm just going to say, so, before I you get into your part, I think the fact that he was so cool and calm 
did help him because, as we all, as we know, or you hopefully know, there are certain stereotypes about African American men in this country. Absolutely. Of them being, you know, angry and not very smart and all that. So for him to really be able to achieve that, I wonder how much of that was his personality and how much of that was he had to have a very cultivated image. That's he had to fair. appear That's very fair. professional, very cool, very calm. And like the thing about nines is nines are of course known as the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, okay, like let's bring everybody together and like I can sort this out. Mm-hmm. But nines also, like some of the other types, kind of hold their real emotions inside. Mm-hmm. And those kind of like stew and like crackle in there and like in the case of like eights, eights just let it explode. Mm-hmm. Whereas nines, it just kind of like eventually like starts oozing out in weird places. Yeah. To where you're like, oh wow, like that was a random outburst, like this ra- very small thing. So I'd be curious to see like what his home life was really like. Yeah. Like he definitely like nines internalize all that pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he has like you know, what if one of his kids does something stupid and you just yeah, you, you just see, you just loses it. Yeah, or wasn't there? There's was a key appeal skit of his anger translator. Yep, yep. Maybe he just has an anger translator. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I had key to key to come around to just be angry, yep, I'm like just account. scream at things. Yeah. <laughs> but that was what I had. But Curtis, what was going on? Approximately, oh, how long was that ago? Fourteen years oh, ago. Oh goodness. About. 2008 was 14 years ago. That okay. is crazy, because in my mind, that was like, oh, it was four yeah. years ago. Honestly, like, I remember thinking, you know, 2005's a good year. It's yep. like the mid-year, and like, anything after 2005 seems pretty new. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I am, 2005. It was, it was that's the prime year. meridian. Yep. <laughs> like, anything past that, you're like, I can't believe it's been that long. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, Barack Obama was president for eight years. Mm-hmm. So I decided to choose the first term... To kind of look at, okay, what was going on here? And I decided to choose the most, like, the least talked about year, at least for me, is 2009. Mm -hmm. Because, like, 2008, crazy stuff happened. Yeah. And, of course, like, 2010, 2011, like, a bunch of stuff was ramping up, too. But, like, 2009, you're like, what happened in 2009? And in 2012, the world ended. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. Unfortunately, it did. So I looked up the uh, the nine strangest news stories of 2009. <laughs> ah, I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, as the Joker once said, what doesn't kill you only makes you stranger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, starting with number nine. This is from um, LiveScience.com. Okay. Seems like a reputable source to me. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, Number nine, trail cam transforms hiker into Bigfoot. (laughs) When some hunters set up a camera to record wildlife in the Minnesota woods, they accidentally photographed a hiker or hunter on a trail. A few local Bigfoot buffs concluded that the dark figure was probably Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) Probably was. (laughs) Much to the embarrassment of other Bigfoot researchers who claimed it was just a guy in a dark outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike the famous 1967 image of Bigfoot, which couldn't possibly be a guy in a dark outfit. No, not at all. (laughs) No. All right, now let's talk about the Turin Shroud. Ah, yes. I know about this. A team of Italian scientists duplicated the Shroud of Turin, believed by some to be the burial cloth of Jesus, Mm -hmm. of Nazareth. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I've heard a variety of things about it, but basically it has an imprint of the sort of classical picture of what Jesus looked like. Yeah, yeah. That sounds a little suspect right A little sus. Mm -hmm. Um, so the test does not prove that the shroud was faked, merely that it could have been faked. Mm-hmm. Believers, of course, remain unconvinced, and shroud t-shirt sales remain brisk. Brisk. <laughs> Very brisk. All right, number seven. Dogs maul Mother Earth. 
According to research published in in New Scientist, that's 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 that sounds reputable. Yep. A medium-sized dog is more damaging to the earth than a gas-guzzling SUV. <laughs> okay, 2009. Based on the amount of land and resources each uses in the course of a year. <laughs> <laughs> land and resources. Like what does that even mean? That sounds like some big SUV corporation energy right there. Like, just the dog craps everywhere and that uses up so much resources. I guess so. Uh, weird. But it also fertilizes the ground. So yeah. fair. Alright, number six. Sleeping girl wakes up with star tats. Mm. An eight-year-old, Bel- an 18-year-old Belgian girl claims she fell asleep at a tattoo parlor and woke up to find 56 star tattoos on her face. <laughs> she accused the tattooist of inking her-, inking her without permission and the girl's father threatened to sue. She later admitted that she had been awake and requested the tattoos. And lied about it because her father was furious when he saw them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, okay. I Break, it down. Okay. Break it down. I don't mind tattoos at all. I think tattoos are pretty cool. Here's, But face ta- tattoos on your face. That's a tough one. Unless you're like a barbarian from the ancient days. I think that's kind of dumb. Yeah, I'm just gonna, gonna, unfortunately I'm gonna it carries with it some unfortunate connotations these yeah. days too. Alright, let's talk about a little UFO. Um, when mysterious red lights appeared in the night sky over New Jersey, many people believe that extraterrestrial spacecraft were visiting the Garden State. The following day, this columnist solved the mystery, later described by the hoaxers on April Fool's Day as a, quote, social experiment. <laughs> it was Chris Christie. <laughs> <laughs> the hoaxer, the hoaxers, that's a fun, that's a yeah. fun word, were ultimately fined $250 each. <laughs> so, um, so here's, here's an unfortunate thing. Okay. Um... Michael Jackson passed away in 2009. I, forgot, I did not I for- realize it was yeah, that long ago. I forgot he passed that year. Um, so he was uh, unfortunately killed by a drug overdose. His mm-hmm. death ruled... His death ruled a... Uh, was it ruled a homicide? Is that is that true? That I would need to look up. I yeah. know there's been some questions yeah, there's, about Yeah, there's been some questions course, about his doctor. It was kind of interesting, like, because Michael Jackson had obviously had some... Been accused of some questionable behavior with Definitely. some youth yeah. prior to this. So it was kind of interesting how, like, after he died, that was kind of conveniently forgotten. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh, here's one that you'll recognize. Um, a scroungy-looking animal, likely a coyote with mange was found dead in Blanco, Texas. The animal was stuffed and mounted, then displayed as the mysterious Chupacabra, the legendary Hispanic vampire beast in an upstate New York museum dedicated to proving that the Earth is only a few thousand years old. Ah, yeah. A creationist museum? I did not know there were other creationist museums besides Ken Ham's. Yeah, no, I didn't didn't know that either. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, two more. When six-year-old Colorado boy Falcon Heen, his name is Falcon, that's nice. cool, was claimed by his publicity-seeking father to have climbed into a homemade weather balloon before it took to the skies, many people smelled something fishy. Nonetheless, the police launched a search, and news media launched a circus. That mm-hmm. ended with the boy safe at home, and charges brought against the family. <laughs> so he made up a story that he ran away in a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That poor kid. All right, so uh, worry warts grew nervous and New Age authors grew rich as concerns spread that a calendar used by ancient Mayans would run out in, 2020, in 2012. Yeah. Signifying, well, maybe doomsday or maybe nothing. Modern Mayans were annoyed by the whole end of end, end, by the whole thing and reported that the quote end of their ancestors' calendar was not high on their list of worries. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my my parents went on a cruise around like 2011 ish. 
and they talked and they like met like actual mind people and they're like yeah i mean the mind cycles mind calendars it's a cycle yeah <laughs> just resets yeah exactly i remember there being a movie called 2012 that was yep. not very good <laughs> no it, it didn't look great no okay so for this edition of talking about obama we decided to focus on the watershed campaign and election in 2008 mm-hmm. yeah because he ran against a pretty important figure one might say you could say that obama announced his presidential candidacy on february 10th 2007 at a rally in front of the old state house in springfield illinois where abraham lincoln had given his famous house divided speech in 1858 smart smart decision oh yeah relying heavily on the internet the obama campaign mobilized mobilized obama for america ofa a massive grassroots organization of volunteers and donors. After he was elected, OFA was recast as Organizing for America for the purpose of rousing public support for Obama's legislative initiatives. Mm. That was a very politician thing to do. Yep. To, like, spin it out to uh, something to help his presidency when he got elected. Yep. With Axelrod again at the helm, the campaign developed a strategy for winning the Democratic nomination and relied on assembling the same coalition of blacks and white liberals that had enabled him to succeed in Illinois, with an additional focus on young voters. Initially, however, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton opened a strong lead in the polls, even among African-American voters and leaders who admired her and her husband, former President Bill Clinton, yep. and did not think Obama had much of a chance to win. Yeah, that was pretty much... I remember having a conversation with my mom about this way back in the day. And she's like, well, I, I want to vote for Hillary. You know, I like Barack Obama well enough, but Hillary's got experience. Yep, yep, yep. Hillary holds a special place in kind of the, a certain generation's heart, I think. Yeah, I think it's so. It's very interesting. Yeah, I guess it's like... I think that, like, I guess the, for lack of a better term, like, late Gen X, early boomer... Mm-hmm. Uh, or no wait no it would be late boomer early Gen X yes um, hearts because like she was definitely like seen as like a good first lady and like a solid politician yeah and kind of a, a little bit of a feminist icon yeah she was a much more active first lady mm-hmm. uh, former Senator John Edwards the Democrats vice presidential nominee in 2004 was also regarded at the start of the campaign as a stronger candidate than the inexperienced Obama Drawing on his online base of supporters, Obama initially surprised political pundits by matching Clinton and besting Edwards in campaign fundraising through 2007. Mm. He became the co-frontrunner in the race by winning the crucial Iowa caucuses on January 8th, on January 3rd, 2008, defeating both Edwards and Clinton by an 8 percentage point margin. Pretty impressive. Pretty solid. Clinton rebounded to win the New Hampshire primary five days later, edging out Obama by three points and crushing Edwards by 22 points. In the next important test, Obama opened up a narrow lead in the nomination contest by defeating Clinton handily in South Carolina in the South Carolina primary, 55 to 27% on January 26th. Black voters convinced by the Iowa results that whites would vote for an African American candidate for president gave him overwhelming support in South Carolina and in subsequent primaries. Subsequent. Mm-hmm. Edwards finished a distant third in the state where he was born and dropped out of the race on January 3rd. That's usually the death nail when, like, you can't carry the state you were from. Yep, yep, pretty much. Other contenders for the nomination included Senator Christopher Dodd of Connecticut, mm-hmm. Senator Joseph Biden of <laughs> Delaware. <laughs> That's malarkey. <laughs> Sleepy Joe. <laughs> and Governor Bill Richardson of New Mexico had already dropped out because of their poor showings in the initial round of primaries and caucuses. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yep, it'd be like that. 
What did Clinton and Obama think of each other, though? From February through early June, Obama and Clinton battled fiercely through the remaining primaries and caucuses. Overall, Clinton won 20 primaries to Obama's 19, including victories in most of the large states, notably California, Texas, New York, New Jersey, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Both candidates were bidding to become historic firsts, the first African-American president or the first woman president. Mm. But Obama had three crucial advantages that enabled him to eke out a narrow victory for the Democratic nomination. First, he was able to contrast his consistent opposition to the war on Iraq with Clinton's vote in 2002 to authorize the war before later turning against it. Yeah, that helped him. Yep. Second, Although there was little difference between Clinton and Obama on the issues, Obama ran on a theme of change and Clinton on a theme of experience. In a year when the economy was steadily deteriorating, as we talked about last week, yes. change was the more appealing theme, especially among Democratic voters. Third, while fighting Clinton in the 39 primaries, Obama did not overlook the 17 states and territories that, like Iowa, chose their national convention delegates through caucuses. He strongly out-organized Clinton in those contests, winning 14 of 17 caucuses. You know, I feel like this is a pattern for 2016 where Clinton overlooks a few states yep. and then ends up, oops, lost the presidency. <laughs> she, had, she struggled with some caucuses. Yep. She couldn't stand up to the final caucus. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the delegates Obama won in the caucuses put him over the top. Clinton withdrew from the nominating contest on June 7, 2008. Yeah, and a quick side note here. So, I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but Go some ahead. of the attacks. So, yeah. Hillary lobbed one potential attack at Obama, and that was Jeremiah Wright, his pastor. And his pastor said one thing, where he was giving a sermon, and he famously was talking about sort of the injustice America did, and he gave the phrase, God damn America. No, God will not bless America, God damn America. Ooh. And she latched on to that as hard as she could for attack ads. That is greasy. Yeah. And Obama eventually had to distance himself from his pastor because of that. So wow. it, it's it's honestly pretty interesting that a man whose literal middle name was Hussein won the presidency. Yeah, no, that's 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 wild every time I think about it. It's like how did Republicans not like I mean, they wrote it, I'm sure. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I feel like. Uh, do you think? Do you think part of the reason why there wasn't more mudslinging is just because McCain was too decent? I think that's a big part of it because McCain. There was that famous incident where a woman said he's a Muslim. McCain took the microphone away and said no, no, because McCain. I think for all his faults, he was still kind of a decent person. Yeah, and he didn't want to engage in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, by the time 2012 came around, I mean, who remembers Saddam Hussein? So, they kind of lost the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But anyway, continue. As hard-fought as his victory was, Obama faced only one serious crisis during the entire nomination campaign. In early March, news organizations and websites showed... Oh, yep. Yep. Sorry, I I caught it. But, uh, actually, there's there's a little bit different stuff than what you talked about in here. Mm -hmm. In early March, news organizations and websites showed video recordings of some controversial sermons by Obama's pastor, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, yeah. including one in which Wright blamed the United States for the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks ah. on New York City. Oh, so it's way worse than what you said, even. Ah, gotcha. And Washington, and another in which he accused the federal government of, quote, inventing the HIV virus. Oh, boy. As a means of genocide against people of color. Yeah, you know, those two are probably not true. Let's be real here. Yep, yep, yep. 
Obama largely diffused the crisis by giving a speech in Philadelphia on March 18th, 2008, repudiate, repudiating? Repudiating. Yeah, repudiating, right, statements and thoughtfully outlining his own views on race relations. But he faced continuing difficulties winning white working class votes against Clinton in the primaries, and some doubt that he could win their support in the general election against the Republican nominee, Senator John McCain of mm-hmm. Arizona. Yeah. Partly to expand his appeal to working class whites, and partly to offset his own modest foreign policy credentials, Obama named Senator Sir Joseph Biden mm-hmm. of Delaware. Yep, I, old Sleepy Joe himself. I added the sir. He is not knighted. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. As his vice presidential running mate on August 22. Two days before the opening of the DNC in Denver, Colorado. They would have it in, in Denver. Mm-hmm. Biden had grown up in blue-collar Scranton. Scranton. <laughs> we heard that, that word that's, a lot. That's where he met Corn Pop. And Corn Pop <laughs> ran with a bunch of bad boys. <laughs> and during his 36 years as a senator from Delaware, he had, he had risen up the seniority ladder to become chairman of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. Okay, do you think when Joe Biden met Obama, he was like, is that Corn Pop? <laughs> he just, his flash, you guys have flashback right there. <laughs> the prophecy. <laughs> In his acceptance speech on the last night of the convention, Obama outlined the issues of his general election campaign. Among other things, Obama promised to, quote, cut taxes for 95% of all working families, Mm -hmm. quote, end our dependence on oil from the Middle East, invest $150 billion over the next decade in affordable, renewable sources of energy, provide affordable, accessible health care for every single American, mm-hmm. close, quote, corporate loopholes and tax havens that don't help America grow, end this war on Iraq responsibly, and finish the fight against al-Qaeda and the Taliban in Afghanistan, and allow, quote, our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters to visit the person they love in a hospital and live lives free of discrimination. It's wild that the go po- the goalpost was set at like, hey, can like gay people visit hospitals? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very much more like, oh, we're not gay marriage quite yet, but let's let's give let's, them a few more. Let's rights. start to treat them like people. Yeah, but yeah, that's that is a lot of campaign promises. I mean, every politician makes them, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Obama left Denver on August 29th, enjoying a small lead over McCain in the polls. But on that same day, McCain stole Obama's thunder by selecting Governor Sarah T. Palin mm. of Alaska as his running mate. Palin balanced the Republican ticket in some obvious ways. Young rather than old. Mm-hmm. Palin was 44. Mm-hmm. McCain was 72. A woman rather than a man. Yep. <laughs> I love the way the Miller, the Miller Center puts it. Yep. A governor rather than a senator, and a social conservative rather than a national security conservative. Yep. Okay, and let's be let's not ignore the elephant in the room. <laughs> she was also fairly attractive. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, they got to play to the base, don't you know? Oh, you definitely got to. She definitely strike. She definitely cuts a Fox News figure. Mm-hmm. So fun fun side note here. So before she ran for VP. There was a late-night comedian known as Craig Ferguson who came on after Dave Lehrman, and he was Scottish, and he did this thing where he was trying to get honorary citizenship in all the states as sort of this gag. I remember Sarah Palin came on his show to give him honorary citizenship, and he kept on going on about how hot she was. Oh, that <laughs> so, was goonish. Wow. So, yeah, that was my first time hearing about Sarah Palin. I'm like, oh, she's running for VP. That's amazing. And she's really goonish. <laughs> At the same time, Palin's reform record in Alaska reinforced McCain's longstanding image as a political, quote, maverick, Mm. who bucked the Washington establishment. 
Her rousing acceptance speech at the convention helped to propel the Republican ticket into a small lead over Obama and Biden in early September. It's wild to think that she was like the key to that. Yeah. McCain maintained his narrow advantage in the polls until mid-September, when the nation's financial sector, heavily invested in risky mortgage-backed securities, went into a sudden tailspin. In the three nationally televised debates between the presidential candidates that took place from September 26th to October 15th, Obama's calm, confident, and competent demeanor impressed voters who were looking for both reassurance that all would be well and a change in the nation's direction. By eschewing federal campaign funds, Obama was also able to outspend McCain substantially on media advertising and grassroots organizing. Mm. In addition, Biden impressed most voters as a much more qualified choice for (laughs) VP than Palin, (laughs) whose unfamiliarity with national and international issues was revealed in a series of television interviews. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch that debate between her and Joe Biden. That's got to be great, right? That's got to be incredible. (laughs) And much to his credit, McCain refused to revive concerns about Obama's long association with Reverend Wright for fear of inflaming racial tensions. Hmm. Obama was elected handily on November 4th, 2008. He defeated McCain by 53% to 46% in the national popular vote. Exit polls revealed that the two candidates broke even among voters who had participated in the 2004 election. That is interesting. Lots of new voters. Yeah. But Obama built his majority among first-time voters who surged to the polls in 2008, many of them young or African-American. Mm-hmm. And a quick side note here. Indiana actually went for Obama in this election. I Yeah, I remember that. That was wild. Yeah. Because, like, otherwise, pretty hard red. Yes. In the Electoral College, Obama prevailed by a margin of 365 to 173. That is a drubbing. Yep, he got crushed. While carrying all of the traditionally blue states in the Northeast, Pacific Coast, and Great Lakes region, Obama built his majority by winning previously red states, such as Virginia, North mm-hmm. Carolina, Florida, Indiana, Ohio, and Colorado. Election night inspired gracious oratory by both candidates. Quote, If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible, quote, uh, Obama told a cheering crowd of supporters, who still wonders if the dream of our founders is alive in our time, who still answers the power of our democracy, tonight is your answer. Conceding defeat, McCain said, quote, this is a historic election, and I recognize the significance it has for African Americans and the special pride that must be theirs tonight. We both realize that we have come a long way from the injustices that once stained our nation's reputation. Mm. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's a very gracious. Absolutely. And and I like that he acknowledged like, okay, yeah, I ran against him, but you know, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, you got, you got to play nice with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless you're someone who shall not be named until another episode. Nope, nope, nope. And so, we're obviously not going to rank him tonight, because we haven't actually got into how his presidency went. Well, I mean, we are triggered liberals, though, so uh, number one. Yeah, number one, obviously. (laughs) S-tier automatically. But let's talk about some final caucus. So... Joe Biden. <laughs> okay, you, you, okay, you'll see where I'm going with this. He once said in a gaffe in 2007 about Obama, he said, I mean, you've got the first sort of mainstream African-American who's articulate and bright and clean and a nice-looking guy. And, I mean, that's a storybook, man. <laughs> Joe Biden. Yeah, he, he had a history of doing that. But... Do you think a big reason why Obama was able to overcome racism and become the first black president is because he was raised in such a diverse background and was raised by white people so he can navigate all the complexity and avoid overtly offending, quote, white fragility? What do you think about that? 
Okay, that, this is an interesting question. Um, and I think that definitely had a part in, like, kind of his articulative powers yes. as a politician. And I think that definitely, like, helped form him as, like, a really effective, like, legislator. Mm. But I would say that the biggest factor in that is that he wasn't born in a poor socioeconomic situation. Mm. He literally was, like, he had a lot more privilege than a lot of people in America. Right. And so he was equipped to then go and, like, hey, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go do this. I'm I'm empowered to do this. Yeah. As opposed, as opposed to, like, I mean, I think the, the diverse perspectives definitely helped him but i think that like growing up like more well off than a lot of people like really shaped that and obviously there are presidents Mm -hmm. who grew up from nothing like log cabin presidents as it were andrew jackson (laughs) (laughs) yeah we saw how that turned out yeah um but yeah that's that's what i think what do you think yeah i think it definitely i think part of it is just he was a very charismatic leader yeah. And he also came after George W. Bush, which was viewed as a largely, like, failed presidency, or America wasn't better off. Low-hanging fruit. Yeah. So the fact he came out with change and hope and sort of a new optimism for America, and he used new tactics as well as utilizing the internet, I think that made him come out as like, okay, this is a new, fresh start for America. And also the fact he was African-American, that helped too. Now, as to whether all that was just smoke and mirrors, or whether he actually did make some changes, that remains to be seen. We'll have to figure that out next week. Yeah, yeah. And I have one extra caucus. Oh, a bonus caucus. Yes. Okay, so Obama had a big thing. His big thing was like, I don't want to get all sorts of conflict. I want to be a peacemaker, reach across the aisle. Do you think this actually helped the country or only made it worse? Mm, okay. That sort of, let's reach across the aisle, let's make it bipartisan. Yeah, yeah. We We've definitely talked about, like, our issues with centrism. Probably, like, earlier. Like, way earlier. Like, 1830s, 40s presidents. Yeah. Um, and But, uh, I think centrism works when there's not, like, systemic problems with your government. Yeah. Which is to say... Centrism never works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because, like, centrism is ultimately, like... If you think about the definitions of, like, liberalism and conservatism, right? Mm-hmm. Conservatism is an adherence to the status quo. Yes. And liberalism is an adherence to vague ideas of progress. Yeah. So then, if there is something in the middle where they're like, all right... We're going to, like, try to balance these out. Who does that serve more? The people trying to keep things the same or the people trying to change things? Yeah, that's a very good point. And I would add one of the big problems with centrism, and I think it can work in certain circumstances. Like, if you have where you don't have as much of a polarized political community. Yeah. If you have a more, like, balanced political community where people are willing to consider different ideas. Like, I'm sure plenty of cities have very, like, moderate, like... Almost independent, like, mayoral candidates. Yeah, exactly, at a smaller level. But as you're saying, the problem is, with centrism, you're basically, you are still acting as holding back progress. And you're going to be used by conservatives in that way. Yeah. To sort of sabotage it, because, oh, you know, we got to appease the centrists. Mm -hmm. And if you're holding back change, then, well, you're kind of working with the conservatives. But maybe there are some really esteemed centrists that think differently. 
And it, okay, here's a side note I'll say about centrism. I think sometimes people say they're centrist. What they really mean is that they lean one way or the other. They just don't like all of the ideas yeah, of the party they lean. Definitely. Which, I mean, that's pretty much everyone. Yeah, like, no, nobody is, like, 100% for every single party platform on, like, Democrats or Republicans. Yeah. And if you are, uh, maybe you need to, you know, study a little bit more. Or do maybe, some maybe deconstruct a little bit. Yeah, do some independent thinking. <laughs> but that was Obama part one. In part two, we will get into his presidency. So thank you for joining us. Once again, I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. Stay ranking. Rank.